Hello and welcome back to Absurdity, where we discuss all things absurd in religion, culture, and society. And if this is your first time here, my name is Ryan Becker, and I am joined by my wonderful and ever so lovely co-host, Henry Johnson, whom I love very dearly. That's why he's lovely, and he's lovable. Aww. Hi, Henry. Hi, so, Ryan. Yeah, we uh, we firmly believe that from, well, I don't know about Henry, I firmly believe that from, by starting from the place where everything is absurd, I believe we can have better conversations uh, because it, it humbles us and allows us to... Uh, move forward with a little bit of of more understanding as we have those conversations. So that's, that's what we do here. That you think I would be a co-host and not supportive of the mission of the thing that I'm on? <laughs> I mean, what is this an, an ESPN side commentator? You hey, know, like, you could. You are supposed to be here to disagree with everything. You could, you could believe it, but not firmly believe it. You could be open to, uh, you could be open to, to you know, having your mind changed. And you could not be as, you know, cemented in that idea as me. That doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't be on the show. It just means you may see it slightly differently than me. Because I feel like I'm the only one that's come up with that terminology to describe this whole kind of perspective or way of viewing things. But that's because you are unique and should be uniquely cherished. No, it's because I'm absurd. All right. So, (laughs) um, Thank you for being on Absurdity today, ladies and gentlemen. So we are excited today because we're going to be talking about Pride Month. We're going to be talking about the LGBTQ plus community and how uh, the church has treated it, how we've treated it um, as a, a society. And so Henry is a pastor of uh, a local church. I used to pastor full time. Now I am involved in leading ministry for uh, college students. And so I am not necessarily leading a church anymore, unless you want to consider a podcast audience a church, in which case, welcome to church, everyone. Uh, please. Uh, well, that just lost several viewers. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, the the. but we're glad you're here. And don't worry if I have a feeling that if you think we're one way, you're likely to be surprised by any, you know, by the way that this conversation goes. So. Well, and that should be the probably the disclaimer up front. If you're here ready for, yay, two white Western Christians to talk about the theologies of homosexuality, uh, you can go ahead and click away, because that's not what's <laughs> going to happen in this. Uh, yeah, this, this is, is not a Bible study. <laughs> this is not that conversation. Um, there's, there's a few Although different... I'm sure there'll be plenty of people in the comments that want to try and force us to have that conversation once they start watching. <laughs> yeah, not happening. Um, and yeah. by the way, actually, I'm just going to go ahead and say that on, you know, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'm not going to be allowing any homophobic, transphobic, or any sort of comments like that um, that, are, that are geared intentionally toward it. I think there's a lot of people that do make those comments unwittingly, like unknowingly, and, and they don't... And they're not trying to be disrespectful or anything like that. And if I can sense that from someone, then I'd rather take the time to educate. So if if I can do that, great. Uh, but if it's just outright uh, homophobic or transphobic, and I'm seeing that, then and downright degrading or dehumanizing, yeah, we're we're going to go ahead and delete those comments. Yeah, so. we're we're done with that because part a big chunk of this whole episode is going to be about dehumanization and and the intrinsic <laughs> value of humanity. So. If you're not yeah. wanting to get on board with that, that's absurd that you think you could do it here. There's plenty of other places, as absurd as that is to know, for you to do that on the internet, so go there. <laughs> yep. Um, last disclaimer, and we'll jump into this, is that Henry and I are both learning and growing in this, uh, and while we may not be where either extreme may try and label us to be or may expect us to be, uh, we are on our own journeys uh, through this 
through this whole topic. And we believe that it's important to take that journey, especially for the LGBTQ plus people in our lives that we care about and love. So if there's something that we say that is unintentionally uh, hurtful, we welcome education. We welcome people to reach out and let us know so that we can do better in the future and even potentially issue corrections as needed. So and, and apologies as needed. We are genuinely not in this to outright offend anyone intentionally or, or do anything like that. But we also know that we have a long way to go too. And just because we have a long way to go does not mean that we can't have conversations where that we believe matter. And seeing as it's June and Pride Month, uh, yeah. I believe it's important that we have this conversation. So I think conversations are how we move forward and how we how we keep uh, how we how we keep making the world a better place. Hopefully, so with that, since we're gonna we talk about in. moving forward, we're gonna back up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we're gonna we're gonna start moving forward by backing up. Because while it is Pride Month, I actually did not realize this until we kind of decided to do this topic, which is that like I knew it was Pride Month and I knew what Pride Month was, but I had no knowledge of why Pride, like like where the, like the history of it, how we got here. You know, I, I had no clue what the what the real history of it was and what it was based out of, and so really, really in eye-opening information once you dive into it too yeah because i i thought i understood some things too and i had no clue that you know june is when we celebrate it because of obviously some riot situations that we're going to be talking about but i had no clue that originally the lgbtq plus community tried to celebrate it in october but once hmm. again the government doesn't give a rat's rare about what most people think and they're like june that's when we choose to do it yep. um but Hey, you know, it, it yeah, guess, we're here. at least it's there. Uh, it's so kinda, it's kind of like people that go, great, we get a Black History Month in February. Yeah. So whatever. <laughs> so all of our sources or anything that we talk about uh, for more information will be linked in the show notes. Let's dive in. And this actually goes back. So Pride Month can be traced back to the Stonewall riots in 1969, in June of 1969. However... What led to that is decades worth of information, really centuries worth. But I, I want to talk specifically within America. The yeah. you know, there there's decades of anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ plus sentiment in in the US that led to oppression and, and outright attempts to remove uh these people from from society. And there was that oppression eventually results in what what becomes the Stonewall riots in in June of 1969 and this is this is something that when you when you hear this if if there is no sort of sympathy or empathy or anything that comes from 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 hearing how gay people were treated in the 50s 60s the 40s if there's no empathy from that i like that needs to be the starting place is like questioning why that is the case and what we really believe about other people that would lead us to feel nothing when it comes to hearing of their suffering. I, I, I just, and if there's not certain things that don't ring a bell and cause concern in your heart as a religious individual, and I'll just go even further and say mm -hmm. as a Christian individual, when you hear some of this background, then you're blind to today. (laughs) Yeah. So your own environment. Post-World War II, there was huge sentiment in America to kind of keep things. Conservatism basically was huge. 
as far well, as I mean, this is, this is human yeah. nature. We we don't yep. like change. We Correct. Really so don't. there was a huge thing of staving off change and of going back to the way things were were before World War II. Right. There's this big movement there, and that's where a lot of anti-communism comes out of. A lot of that sentiment really, really is driven by this thing of we need to get back to the way things were. We need to reject all these new or other ways of living or life, and we we can't celebrate those because that may may lead us into somewhere or lead us to a place we don't want to be. Well, and that desire combined with paranoia will really send you into a tizzy because you mentioned anti-communism, but I mean, it really starts stemming into McCarthyism. Of course it would. You start yes, looking at the yeah, 50s shocker. and 60s. It's, it's shocker, McCarthyism, right? And the whole idea that you start developing a public consciousness where anyone that is not normal it normal in people's minds or isn't doing what you think is a publicly acceptable way to prove, you know, red, white, and blue or whatever are a risk to the stability of the state and a risk to everybody's mm. life. Right. And so as McCarthyism at, at the top was really starting to feed this paranoia and start having people classify each other as un-American and subversive or American and supportive or whatever. As you start playing that game and making lists and things, it, it's only a matter of time, which you would think the society would have learned in the 30s and 40s with fascism, before mm -hmm. groups are going to be dehumanized, before groups are going to be subjected to all sorts of inappropriate and untold pressures. And that's exactly where the LGBTQ plus community was going to find itself. To the point where in the United States, shouldn't come as a shocker because we've done things like this before, that if the organizations from the FBI to the post office were involved in anti-LGBTQ plus community. Like, I didn't realize the post office, okay? I mean, I know we like to rag on the post office as being pretty inefficient and mind-numbingly mm -hmm. annoying. And being, a you know, lately people have argued in the last couple of years a center of political machinations, but nothing new, apparently, you know, had been going before. You would think I would have realized that. But I mean, the post office would go to the point where they were even keeping track of addresses where material they thought was pertaining to homosexuality was mailed. They would like yep. copy down the list of like, well, these people are getting flyers or these people are getting whatever. Uh, and they would go after that. And of course, then in 1952, the American Psychiatric Association even goes on to list homosexuality as a diagnostic and statistical, you know, in their diagnostical and statistical manual as a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. Well, once you get to the point where people are keeping lists and accusing you of being anti-American and subversive and against the state, and you're tracking their mail, and you also say they got a mental disorder, uh, this is a nasty recipe for people going to get dehumanized. And that's yep. exactly... Um, where that goes. And in particular, it goes south real quick in New York City. And uh, this is the point where I will resist the Southern temptation to be like, ha, 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 New York, of course, that's going to be where the problem is. Uh, hashtag, we love all New Yorkers. You're wonderful Shocker, human beings. Shocker, where, where a ton of people live is where something would Yeah, happen. where a ton of people live, and that same dehumanization I will resist from the South to the North, even though it's kind of fun to pick on it. But anyway, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, no, I get it. Right. So in New York, uh, then you get into even more, uh, how do I put this? Just, uh, yes, it's not really an adjective, but, uh, um, yeah. So New York city took an even more pathetic approach to this issue for a number of reasons. One of them being the 1964 world's fair, 
that was coming in. And the mayor of New York City at the time felt that they needed to really clean out, quote, gay people, right? Because he didn't want the world to come to New York City and think all these mental disorder degenerate folk or are there. And so there was a lot of policies that started getting put in place and allowed to fester in the police department and the law enforcement community because of the World's Fair that then just kept building for the several years after the World's Fair, because once you've had several years of a policy, it's hard to stop where that goes and people getting used to that. Mm. Policies such as entrapment, for lack of a better term, where they... An entrapment based on some really ignorant understandings well, ignorant and understanding in the same sentence doesn't really work. That's an oxymoron. But some really ignorant perceptions of LGBTQ+, to the point where some of the stories I read were things where cops would go do things they thought were gay, and if anybody responded to them in any way, shape, or form to that, they'd arrest them, thinking, aha, we caught somebody who was gay, to the point where one story I read was a cop literally was in a gym, grabbed his groin, and was like, ow, and the first guy was like, are you okay, and walked towards him, they're like, arrested him for being gay. Hmm. And you're like, okay, how ignorant, well, that's a dumb question, to ask the questions to give you the answer, how ignorant could somebody be? So they were, they were doing, you know, things like this, if a guy bought another guy a drink, at a bar, that automatically means he's gay. So yep. they'd arrest them. So this was the kind of toxic culture that was particularly festering also in New York City that's going to lead up to the riots in question that kind of spark an, a, a huge awareness for LGBTQ plus issues and, and lead to the seminal event of the Stonewall Uprising or riots. I've heard it termed either way that became the, the main event that people celebrate, you know, Gay Pride Month came out of. So yeah. so basically, the last thing I'll throw in there is some remaining prohibition things and the mafia, because that's obviously going to make a, a cool story to throw the mafia in there, like, you talking to me? Right. <laughs> and, you know, all, all of this kind of stuff uh, in New York City, obviously, some of these things forced communities underground, which, duh, you would expect that to happen. And the Shocker. club scene, the bar scene, uh, uh, an ability for people to meet together and socialize as human beings became an issue, there were raids all the time on bars and clubs normally. So gay bars and clubs especially, uh, payoffs, corruption in the police department, so many angles we could go at. Uh, yeah. But one thing that just really stood out to me is basically where the Stonewall uprising is going to come from is that the police decide they're going to particularly shut down. At, and it wasn't, let me clarify this. This event is not unique in that the police are going to go after a bar, and it's not even unique that they're going to go after what is perceived as a gay bar. The, the thing that's going to make this unique is the reaction to the people during this particular mm -hmm. raid. Police right? raids so were this, normal. I think the week leading up or like the month leading up, two other, two other gay bars in, in Greenwich Village were, were raided and shut down by police. And it's actually believed that the raid on Stonewall, I think there, there's... There is a belief out there that it was done because the mafia was actually getting or the the mafia wasn't giving enough in kickbacks to the police to pay them off. Yeah, police used to because of the liquor licenses or lack thereof. Yep. I mean, there was there's a whole lot of intersecting corruption and issues around yep. this, but it's gonna intersect which and I only mention that to say this. This should also show us something. LGBTQ plus, when we start talking about dehumanization in a minute. They're facing the same corruption, the same human problems, and the same ridiculous situations as everyone else. 
So if they're human enough to have the same human problems, I think they're human enough to have the same, you know, to be treated the same as anyone else. Um, but now I'm getting ahead of myself on that. No, you're fine. But but yeah, so so on June 28, I believe like really early in the morning, and, and I just have to let, I'm not making this up, folks. The public morals squad of the <laughs> NYPD is going to get involved. Yes, they had a public moral squad. And no, I'm not talking about Sunday school. Uh, you know, I'm talking about public morals squad. There was something called that in the police department. And the last thing you want is the government or the police enforcing morality. I was going to say, the the the, uh, the argument, it's really funny that a lot of this came out of, uh, came out of, a desire to be conservative and and conservative also includes small government because of reaction to communism, right? But in that in that chase for small government, you also have government enforcing morals. Well, whatever morals it deems are acceptable to society. So you know, just a just a fun little little contrast yeah, there. Uh, hash, hashtag uh, notice to our evangelical brothers and sisters, our Christian brothers and sisters. At the same time, you fight about small government, and I'll just give it away. I'm a, I'm a big fan of. I don't like the term small because I want government to be as large as it needs to be to do what it needs to do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would say limited government. I, I myself am more of a fan of limited government, maybe call that more of a libertarian leaning. But that being said, a lot of what we see today in public discourse, political discourse, especially religious public discourse mm-hmm. is, well, the government can't force me to live against my convictions and my religious liberty. And all of that. And at the same time, they try and use the government. We try and use the government to disenfranchise other people on issues of, quote, perceived morality. Yep. Right? I mean, we have become the new public morals squad. And if you wonder why we're about to blunder into situations and make them worse, just like the NYPD's public moral squad is about to do in this story. Duh! Okay, anyway. So now let's and we need to move pretty quickly through this because we do want to get to other stuff. So we're going to we're going to. Yes. So I'm just going to hit the point. So long story short, they handled this wrong, just like you would expect expect a public moral squad. And they come in to bust this place in the morning. There's there's arguments whether they were tipped off as they should have been or not, because a lot of times bars were tipped off because, again, kickbacks and all that. So basically, the corrupt system fails itself. They come in here. They they, you know, block the doors. They say. We're busting this place, turn all the lights on. And they had this policy where they would line. I, I didn't know this. This is deep. This is humiliating in and of itself. They would line people up according to their perceived, what they claimed to be gender wise or, or whatnot, or what they were dressed like. And they'd have male and female officers. Sounds like the TSA today. And mm-hmm. they would ask for your ID. And anybody that had to produce, produced a male ID and was dressed as a woman, they would send to the woman's restroom in the facility with a female officer who immediately checked if they had male anatomy. And if they had male anatomy and they were dressed like a female, you're automatically arrested mm-hmm. as a cross-dresser and a pervert and whatever else you want to call it and vice versa. So now if you say you're a male, you go in, up, oh, you don't have male anatomy, boom, you're not arrested. And then they would drag them out basically hmm. and arrest those and anybody they check their ID and check their so imagine the dehumanization of even if you weren't you know LGBTQ plus individual in there imagine if I was in the bar and I'm standing there and they just line me up and they have to check my ID and then do a body search of my anatomy to determine whether I have done anything wrong or not that's just I, well I we're, would be we're actually seeing that take place in 
uh, in schools right now because there are there have been I think there's one yeah state what bathroom specific, can you use yeah what bathroom can you use and then there are there was one state I believe in the south that recently I'd have to look it up but that passed a law that that basically gave room for church for not church sorry school uh, officials and school administrators to basically be able to tell a student to undress in front of them to double check and make sure that they're um, they are the right basically gender or acting as the right the right yeah. sex and that's the kind of thing we're seeing that now with kids public humiliation and shame i know it's 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 getting ridiculous and anyway so normally what would happen in these things is not only that lineup but if you were deemed fine and not gay or whatever the term was they would normally just let you walk out the front door mm-hmm. and they would corral everybody else and go well what happened different this time and there's probably a confluence of events why, and I don't want to get into that, but a lot of the people they released didn't just leave uh, for once. So when they were allowed to walk out the front door, they kind of all stood around to see mm. what was going on. Call it frustration or just the, the the era of the times, whatever. This is also the late 60s when this has also got a confluence with the civil rights movement. Right? So there's a lot more public activism. There's a lot more willingness to say this is not right. This is not acceptable. And so a lot of these people started standing around, a crowd starts forming because people are wanting to see why are all these people standing around and what's going on, and they were hearing things. And as the police were starting to rough handle, which I think was also probably normal, all these people out the door to throw them in the paddy wagon and, and arrest them, as it goes, one particular woman, which we there's no 100% confirmation who this was. There's people that have claimed to be the end of it, the woman in question. There's some debate, so we're not going to say a particular name, but it is confirmed a woman of some sort starts breaking away from the cops repeatedly as they're trying to drag her out to the the vehicle. Somehow she like escape and try and run and they grab her and try and she break away again somehow. And and and, they're, you know, she hits somebody on the head with her purse and then they're trying to do whatever. And finally, about the fourth time they grab her. And go to shove her in the vehicle, and all these people are watching this. She finally is quoted as turning to the crowd and going, Aren't you going to do something? Mm. And her saying that becomes the spark that gets the crowd to go, Yeah, that we've had enough of this. You know, this is ridiculous. And a riot ensues. Right. So uh, this this massive riot where the police get chased basically back into the building. Trash cans are lit on fire. Uh, the police try and use a garden hose or whatever to put it out, but there's not enough pressure. So that doesn't work. And then other cops come in from, you know, backup comes in and then they start chasing people through the streets and smashing telephones. And and for people who are like smashing telephones. OK, there's something called pay phones back then. I know this might be shocking for anyone younger than us. Uh, you used to have phones that would stand in their own little booths on corners that you put coins in and call people right <laughs> anyway woo, but technology yes. but right but they were smashing phones and people often think the police are the ones smashing the phones not the rioters because they didn't want them to be able to call and what and so yep. it turns into several nights of violence and, and and arrest and crime all over basically this explosion of of horrible policing horrible community ethics and an oppression and nightmares and it all this becomes the catalyst that makes this explode yeah. and this event being one of the first times lgbtq plus you know individuals finally stood up and said enough is enough we're sick of being treated like subhuman and garbage 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because this was kind of the seminal event in the West where they finally stood up as a community and said, we got to defend ourselves, that became kind of the rallying point for LGBTQ plus rights uh, politically uh, in the community. And thus why it became, since it happened in June, where the government, has, the federal government has anchored Pride Month to. Yes. Because they, they say, well, this is a seminal moment in, in political discourse for LGBTQ plus individuals. And so there, there's your very non- Totally detailed historical backdrop yes. on that, but that's that's by the way that's basically it. So two interesting things, three interesting things I want to point out. First of all, of course it was Florida, but Florida was the state I was talking about, and it was transgender sports. They require a dispute regarding a student's sex shall be resolved by the student's school or institution by requesting that the student provide a health exam or consent form and consent form or other statements signed by the student's personal health care provider, which must verify the student's biological sex says the bill, which also provides for routine sports physical examination because of students' reproductive organs. Individuals in no, sports. it's banning transgender men from participating in men's sports. That's what it's doing. It actually allows for... So it's sexist as well. Correct. Yep. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, you know, while yep. we're at it... Uh, <laughs> and that's from The Hill. Listen, what folks, I just read, any, yes. any, any, since we picked on Arkansas several episodes ago, to which we love our Arkansas peeps, so uh, we did see the and comments. And I'm from like, Orlando. Don't lump us in. Well, yeah, and he's from Orlando, but I can't resist this joke. Any state shaped like a handgun should tell you what you're going to experience there. <laughs> uh, which is alligators. Okay, so... <laughs> the Even nature hates Florida. <laughs> um, Sorry. The... The Walmart next to my, or close to the house I, I grew up in was once shut down because there was an alligator blocking the entrance. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the, the you know, just c- common. But the two things I want to point out that were happening kind of alongside that big history was, A, I don't think people know this, but blue and pink were not always guy color, or like guy and girl colors. In fact, it was used to be flipped that pink was was for was for boys and blue was for uh, was for girls because pink was noted as a strong and vibrant color and girl in blue was dainty and delicate. Real men wear pink. Boomers in the 40s were actually the first to be dressed in sex-specific clothing. And that was when they were dressed like miniature men and women instead of uniformly in like children's dresses. And then... And for then, those of you like, this is crazy. I would remind you that the military uniform of World War II, the dress uniform was called pinks and greens. Mm-hmm. And they've come um, back to that now. So people, people who took part in this uh, movement thought, so in in the 1960s and 70s, thanks to women's liberation movement, that, that, that took a dip. But then in the 1980s, gender oriented kids fashion had come back into fashion strongly. And that's, that's where we have that. So you also have this reaction of, you know, we need to separate everyone and, and keep them, you know, and, and dress them according to the right gender color. And Interestingly enough, and I said this isn't a Bible study, this is not a Bible study, but, and and I'm not going to get into the specific translations of anything, I just want to say that the English word for homosexual or homosexuality did not appear in any Bible until the Revised Standard Version in 1946. Pay attention to the year. And what we just said about people wanting to go back to the way things were prior. In fact, in 1983, the first German translation to use the word homosexual or homosexuality, that translation was funded by Americans. So you have, I'm not, and like I said, I'm not providing any, anything more than that. 
uh, as far as getting into the original Greek words and what they mean or what they traditionally meant, I, I would invite you to go study and I'll provide the links for this. But one of the interesting things to note is that the the original team for the RSV that that translated it as homosexual, they in in First Corinthians six nine, someone challenged the kind of head of that team. And the head of that team responded and admitted that the translation team had indeed made a mistake and would seek to correct it in their next update. However, they had just signed a contract stating that they wouldn't make any changes in the RSV for 10 years. Which means that any other NASB, uh, Living Bible, New International Version, all of those actually referenced RSV. So you have a mistake, an admitted mistake from the translation team. Um coming through. And like I said, I'm not trying to get into like the specifics as far as what that word could or could not be. What I'm trying to say is in a time where people were already uh were already targeting and unfairly treating gay people, now you have the Bible being basically used as a you know, continually, but also now more in intentionally being used as a bludgeoning tool against them. That's yes, what I'm trying to say. Whether the Bible says a certain thing about you know, the topic or not is not the point we're getting at. Uh, Correct. We're not trying to make a definition of if you read the Bible, it's pro or against. What, that, that's, that's beyond the scope of this episode. Uh, we're just merely trying to say that even in its revisions, and I would go on a limb to say, just so you all know, we do revise the Bible. That might come as a shock to people. I, you know, that'd be a topic for another time, too. Um, <laughs> you know, unless you're reading Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, uh, what you're reading is a translation, right? We, yes. we have to put it in English. Uh, it was not given to Moses on Sinai in American English. Yes, exactly. So, and and it does not always translate one to one. No, and it, so but, but just, our point. I think the point Ryan's yeah. making is that they were being all of a sudden there was a renewed focus on intentionally updating language to match terminology of the day. And yep. specifically with regard to this issue. Now, whether they should have or should not have, again, beyond the scope of this, it's just interesting to note the timing that, again, all at the same time, mm -hmm. people are trying to go, because I'm trying to remember, I, did, I was not, I didn't know you were going to talk about that. I, I, I can't remember in the, quote, King James, which was the main Bible at the, at the, at the time, I, is it translated like lewd acts or something? It's yeah, like, it's not so a very most clear of, translation correct. the way they do it. Anyway, so they were like, most we have to update the, it. Most of the older translations deal with it as like uh, abusive sexual uh, endeavors, essentially abusive or perverted sexual endeavors versus like specifically one-to-one, uh, -one, you know, consensual homosexuality or whatever. That's that's right. the, the again, idea that's, as far as most English translations. We're not saying now that being said, Henry and I belong to a denomination that firmly believes that the church lost sight of the original the original truth of the Sabbath on Saturday. Uh, for th for a giant chunk of history, so we don't want to say that right, just because the, something the, the was historically church, not that there was yes, yeah, 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 there yeah, wasn't yeah. people that were still aware of it. Correct, the church at large, basically. But but the idea yeah. being that just because something was historically translated one way doesn't always, or interpreted one way, doesn't always mean that that's the correct way or that's the way we should have been doing it all along. So I, I right. do, and we're not also always huge fans for of that. Just Right, and we're not saying go the other extreme either, where everything is best because it's new. Because yeah. you know, a lot of times when you hear new, it's like toothpaste; it's double the price and half the content of the exact same thing. Or um, it's new but, because this is your first time here, and you love us, so welcome and glad you're here. Uh, so, yeah, so anyway, so, moving away from the the yes, biblical specific. I just topic. wanted to I just wanted to touch on that because I think it does impact sentiment. But I think the 
for me, this actually, the Stonewall riots and understanding Pride Month actually goes right back to the root reason of why I even started this podcast, which was in response to the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. That was a time where I found out actually a lot of my friends identified as LGBTQ plus individuals. And I didn't know. And I wanted to do something to, to support them, to help them, to give voice to their experiences and their problems and, and, and to those issues and to help people treat them with more empathy. And it was that plus racism, sexism. I mean, any, it, that's where absurdity kind of started was out of my desire to do something for that community. And so to hear the way that police rated this feels very, very similar to the Pulse nightclub shooting, not because it was a shooting or anything, not because there were riots afterwards, but rather because of the invasion. Straight people have a, there there is very much a straight privilege. The straight privilege is being able to walk into any room at any given time and assume that if you go talk to a woman, you know, you're most likely going to be able to, you know, if, you, if you're a guy, you go talk to a woman or a girl, you go talk to a guy, very likely that you're talking to someone that could potentially have an interest or respond, return an interest in you. In other words, another straight person, gay people, LGBTQ plus people, they walk into a room and they assume always that they are in the minority. They never know if they talk to someone, what the reaction will be to who they are. And for, for individuals like this, where society was cracking down on them, where they are told they're hated in their churches, where they are told they're, they're hated at home, they are like a gay bar, a gay nightclub. That, that's like, that is church to them. That is a sanctuary for them. It's the one place that they can go and experience life similar to how a straight person experiences life, which is, you know, just being able to, to walk in and, and assume that you're free to be who you are. And for someone to walk in and invade that space and desecrate it, whether by gun, by police raid, by inspection, by public humiliation, by violence, it doesn't matter. That's a, that is a supreme act of, of dehumanization. And it's a huge invasion of, of, someone, of someone else's space, of someone else's humanity. And it is so... I, that's why I wish I had actually known about about the history of Pride Month sooner is because I didn't realize how tight it was to that, how tight it was to those themes. But that's one of the, the reasons I, I want to talk about this is I, I really do feel like we don't treat that with enough understanding. We see these these Pride Month or these Pride Marches, which has been happening since the 70s, and we see these big Pride Parades or we see these explicit, uh, you know, ex- exhibitions of sexuality and in the most extreme ways and Christians all the time think like, Oh, they're doing it to offend us. They're doing it to rub it in our faces. And I don't think, I mean, for some, yeah, but I don't think that's the case. Like I can't, I can't even sing like safely outside of the shower or my car. And even if I'm stopped at a red light, I won't sing in my car because I don't want people to hear me. I don't want people to see how my, you know, hear my, my terrible voice or mediocre voice or whatever. Right. For gay people who've always been told that you like have always had to live in a closet or had to repress who they are for LGBTQ plus people who couldn't embrace fully or didn't feel they could embrace fully their their sexual identity, their sexuality and their gender. Now they feel like they can. And what those are for them is an act of reclaiming agency, reclaiming some sense of power and rebuilding that that sense of individuality. It is celebrating the thing that everyone else has hated for so long and told them that they were not allowed to be proud of.
it is not necessarily if it offends you that's not that may not be its intended purpose however that being said if it does offend you then it's probably targeted towards you not in a way to offend you but in a way to teach you that maybe just maybe it's not exactly how you see the world and i don't have to live the way that you see the world and that's something that that is that is really powerful to me and something that i think we should be considering a lot more strongly when we have these conversations and when we're talking with lgbtq plus individuals i just think there's a lot more space for us to have for for straight people for christians specifically or any religious people specifically because this this kind of goes across across the board in in many many religions the there is space for empathy and i think we we need to there's space to treat people better yeah so anyway, that, that, that's my that's my rant for for right this second. But Henry, what are your thoughts? And, and you know, where do you want to go from here? Oh, man, there's so many directions. I mean, first comment I'll make while I was listening to you is I know this is going to sound pretty. Uh, I'm not trying to sound woke or, or whatever when I say this, but I, I don't even like the term for myself is straight. And before everyone just all of a sudden has a meltdown, what I mean by that is I, I, I feel like one side we call like straight as a direction and then gay isn't one. Yes. And I think yep. and I think by implication it's indicating that straight is like I'm pointed the right way and anyone that isn't that term is crooked, which is probably where the I haven't looked at the yeah. origin of why we call it that way. Um I, I, I don't even like the whether I agree with with certain well, it's not it see, I, I can trip myself up on this because everywhere I try and explain it, I don't like where it goes. Um, you know, I was like, well, I don't even like that understanding of an orientation well, definition. My point is, is we need to do a better job at not dehumanizing individuals, even if we disagree with them. And I think one of the main things I wanted to talk about in, in you know, when it comes to Pride Month and why I'm glad that we get to discuss it, is that no matter where you land on the, lack of a better term, spectrum of support or not support or religious feeling about you know, LGBTQ plus individuals or, or, or whatnot, as far as the practice of that orientation or the embracing of that, I don't even like to quote the term lifestyle, but things you perceive as a lifestyle yes. that is against you or or, or whatever is, I, I really think there should be a month of clarion call that the church has done an absolutely, and by church, I mean wider Christianity. And the church has done That includes us, by the way, that, that definitely which includes, includes us. our denomination. Yeah, not that, and, not, and, not that yeah. we're excluded. I mean, well, I'll be the first to admit we live in a, we live, we reside in and I work for a particular denominational persuasion that is more on the conservative side, and that's not bad in and of itself. It just means that this is definitely an issue that our response to it has been a pretty traditional conservative Christian response to it, which is not handled well at all. And that's being polite about it, like not handled well at all. Yep. So... I, I recognize there's lots of feelings, there's lots of debate, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of everything involved around it, but we would hope this wouldn't be as controversial as I'm sure we're probably still going to get comments about this because people have missed the intent of this, but this is what I'm trying to get at. Can't we use this month and every day to learn that the gospel is ultimately about rehabilitation? And I don't mean rehabilitation, that's that's a loaded term in this context, too, where Christians I was going like, to say, yes, that's, you're walking on real into, dangerous ground right I, now. I'm walking on really, yeah, it's like, you know, conversion therapies. No, that's that's not where I'm I going. I really but feel I mean, like I, restoration is the word that I tend to focus on in that context. That, 
that's probably now with all the baggage associated with the other one. Yes, uh, re- restoration. The point is, everyone has a right to be treated with dignity and respect. And as a human being, and especially as Christians, we should understand everyone, if we believe firmly in the Genesis account, everyone is created by the God, right? Then that automatically puts an intrinsic value. Yep. In every individual, and that value should not be dictated over whether I agree with or don't agree with, or whether I judge, quote, one sin ranked higher or lower than, quote, another sin. And and we a lot of our policies, policies and procedures and, quote, beliefs now have less to do with scripture than they do with politics and less to do with, you know, prescription than it does to, with pain. Yeah. And it creates all the problems that we deal with and cliches and all sorts of other things that ruin lives all in the name of mm-hmm. good and God or whatever. And that as a minister is what breaks my heart specifically. I, I, I think, mean, you know, th- this time of month is, I mean, this time of month, this time of year is always when we hear phrases like, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin. Mm-hmm. Which I could do a whole episode on how I hate that statement. First of all, yep. that is not a yep. quote from the Bible. I'm just going to throw that out there. Jesus did not say that at anywhere. You know, if you're like, oh, that sounds like a phrase Jesus would have said to his disciples. He didn't. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, that was not quoted by him. Se- second of all, the problem with that, right? And I'm no, I'm just hitting this and then I'm going to turn it over to you. Second of all, when you say love the sin or the sinner, hate the sin, the problem is, is that assumes you can tell the difference between the two, and the Bible is very clear that the insidious nature of sin and confusion in the human condition is oftentimes they're so intertwined, you end up hating both. And the problem is, is you have no recognition that you're doing it, which means you're really in a bad spot. But all right, take over. I'm just... Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and if you're defining your relationship by someone by the thing you hate about them, then that's not really a relationship. So there's... You're starting off on the really bad foot from the get-go with that mindset. But I very much agree with with everything you've said here. And no one, by the way, if anyone's curious, we're not hiding our denomination. We're Seventh-day Adventist. We just don't, we're just trying not to make it about that. We're not trying to convert anyone here to Seventh-day Adventism. We're just trying to talk about this in general. But I understand that the way we sometimes reference it may sound like we're trying to be veiled or obscure about it. We're not. We just don't want to make it about it. That's all. So one of the... Uh, one of the big things you mentioned lifestyle, and I want to go into this, but I think your your analysis of the word straight is is pretty uh, pretty dead on too, because I think that's why we're seeing heteronormative and heterosexual being used a lot more too. the The problem that happens with with and it roots in love the sin hate the sin, or love the sinner hate the sin as well is that we as Christians tend to treat LGBTQ plus people with a level of assumption that we do not treat each other with. And that is like, so the term lifestyle, Henry's married. I'm not, I'm in a relationship. Henry is in a married relationship. So you're in a single lifestyle, but we're both in a head. We're both in a straight or heterosexual lifestyle. But, you know, I have friends that go out and are sleeping with people all the time. I have friends that go out and drink and party. I have friends that go out and I have friends that have cheated on their uh, on their wives. I have friends that have cheated on their girlfriends. I have friends that have cheated on their husbands and their, uh, their boyfriends. I'm not one of them, by I, the I, way. I, love you, yeah, babe. No. Okay. Yes. Um, <laughs> love it. The And I'm not one of them either. I'm not, because I'm not my friend. No, I'm just kidding. The, oh. the reality is that 
no one no one when they find out that i'm heterosexual which by the way is already something that's good be like within the context of oppression because people just assume that you are heterosexual first the 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 reality is that no one i say i'm heterosexual when i say i'm straight no one is sitting here going oh you know what you're you know you're definitely going out and sleeping with multiple women no one is assuming that no one is immediately saying you're a sinner because you're a heterosexual if the second someone says they're gay or lgbtq plus and by the way, homosexual is now being used or now being considered a a antagonistic or, or an insult to slur um, because of thanks to the way Christians use it. So good job, guys. Way to go. <laughs> the right. word hasn't We've been in the Bible culture. for more than 60 years. I, 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 <laughs> we, 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 we have changed culture and not in a positive way. Uh, yeah. okay. So the but the, the problem is that when the second someone finds out someone is gay or LGBTQ plus, they, they go. Oh, well, you're, you know, I'm praying for you. I, this, you know, this, you, this, I this, hope this, that this, you this. get into a right relationship with God and I hope you, you see the, I the hope you don't get AIDS because you sleeping with yeah. every person you see on the street. And you're like, and there is this assumption of, of the, there's an assumption of someone who, who identifies that way that they are automatically in sin. And regardless of what you believe in sin or, or believe is sin or, or don't. It is never okay to assume that someone is doing something or someone is sinning if you don't know. And at the same time, it's wildly inappropriate to go digging to discover and 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 find out and investigate if someone is sinning. Sorry, yeah, like, you wouldn't want people to do that in your life. And by the way, may yeah. I just point out that assume makes an ass out of you and me. It's yep. in the word. And no one and no one get on me about the appear avoid the appearance of evil because that that verse is entirely mistranslated. I have a whole other YouTube video about it on the channel, but but even within the context of that verse, it's talking about prophecies. And no one get in that either. Like just because like you shouldn't even identify that way because that appears a certain way. Nope. Sorry. That's not that's not a biblical idea either. But using like talking about I don't believe that gay lifestyles, I don't believe lesbian lifestyles or transgender lifestyles are are okay or appropriate. I'm sorry, that's like you are assuming that if there is someone who, according to the traditional biblical sex ethic, is celibate, who chooses to be celibate, then technically they're not doing anything wrong because the Bible doesn't prohibit singleness. In fact, it encourages it at a few points, right? So there is, there's, but you've assumed because they've told you their identity, you've assumed everything about them and automatically made a judgment about their relationship with God and where they're at in it. And you don't leave the room for, for people to tell their own story and to live their own story. Instead, you've put them in your box of you, of the story that you are telling for yourself. And you're now trying to say that they must live according to your story. That's why using the term lifestyle doesn't work. It doesn't, it's, it's painting with a broad strokes. It's painting with broad strokes and it just isn't, it, it isn't appropriate. And you may say, well, those are the, the you know, the vast minority of people, or we, we, we do this a lot with abortion where, uh, where pro-choice people will often, uh, you know, talk about the statistics of rape and pregnancies caused by rape and abortions as a result of that. And they, and pro-life people will say, well, those are the, the minority of situations and we, we shouldn't, you know, you're, you're making those a bigger deal than they are. The problem is that those minority of situations, those minority of people that, that may be in that boat, they still have to live in the world too. And if they live in a world where every single time in church or every single time anywhere they go, they're told that, that their identity is wrong. You're saying I'd rather sacrifice their, you know, their relationship with God and their relationship with the church because I want the convenience of being able to paint with a broad brush. 
I, well, I want to feel better about myself of being, I mean, this gets into yep. some bad theologies too. I, I think part of the big, <laughs> we're trying not to get into theology specifically about what the Bible says or does not say about something, but we do want to touch on some theologies that impact everything, including this. And, and you know, one of those would definitely be, and, and how we treat people, for sure, yep. that's what we're trying to say. Um, but I think another big theology or bad theology that isn't biblical that impacts this issue is people's idea of sanctification, which is a fancy term of how am I becoming better or more appropriate for God or or however mm-hmm. you want to look at that. And and I really think this is a root cause of what I call legalism, the idea that I will earn God's favor, or I will do this. Well, the problem with that is not only is it unbiblical, it's not going to work. Uh, newsflash, if you think you will save yourself or if you think you will be able to put your life right to a point where God will approve it, I went, wrong, failed, thank you for playing. Actually, don't think, don't play. It's it's, it's Don't play that game specifically. Heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, yep. it's, it's not going to work. But my point is, is I've often found this as a, as a minister, people who become obsessed with they have to, their life has to reflect a certain thing and not just because it ends up doing that or they're in love and so their life changes, but because they're obsessed with it must change. Yep. It becomes as, as you know, the Bible says in one of the particular writers in it, Paul, the Apostle Paul, much in the New Testament was written by him in letters. You know, he says we in Romans, we end up judging each other by ourselves by ourselves, and in the end, we're fools. Yeah. And what happens is you have to have some metric, something you can judge against to say, look, I'm making progress. Well, the problem is, is when legalism doesn't work, when saving yourself doesn't work, you're not actually moving anywhere. So mm-hmm. you have to, I think people, unbeknownst to them, are artificially creating movement. Well, if they can't go up, then they can at least shove others down, and then it looks like they have crossed a gulf, they have made progress, yeah. right? And so I think a lot of this, even when it comes to LGBTQ plus issues, right, and all that, is a lot of Christians that are, I mean, don't get me started on on heteronormative issues yeah. in relationships with affairs and pornography and other things the church, if we spent half as much time as we did about LGBTQ plus issues on those, the church would be in better shape. But, you know, we single out this one. Well, now we got to shove LGBTQ plus individuals down like this. So I can look, look, just because I'm, this is easy. I came out heteronormative. So boom, all I have to do is put these people down and I'm already 20 steps ahead on my journey of faith. No, you're still standing in the mud. You've just further shoved their face in the mud to where they're drowning in it. You haven't gone anywhere. You've just become worse. I mean, it's these kinds of theologies yeah. that ooh, hit the table. I'm getting so angry, right? It, <laughs> it 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 breaks my heart that we think that somehow by dehumanizing others we'll feel better about ourselves, and we and, never it never works. And it doesn't work. All you've done is further destroy another individual, and you're no further along. In fact, you're actually degrading yourself. You're in a worse shape yep. than you were before because every time you dehumanize one human being, you're dehumanizing yourself. This isn't just the butterfly principle. What you do to others does impact you, and that's a very biblical illustration. What you reap, you sow. That is a phrase in the Bible, not hate the sinner, or hate the sin, love the sinner, although we turn it into hate the sinner yeah. and the sin. But Well, so I want to I wanna zero in on something that, you, that, that I mentioned earlier and that, that now, that we talked about actually on the Duggar episode, which is that you brought up, which is that every... You know, the source of a or the the result of a lot of terror of the worst theologies end up um, end up sacrificing the children and end up mm-hmm. really hurting the children. And it doesn't take more than a 10 second Google search 
to find out exactly how the way that we, what we believe about this has impacted severely the children. Suicide rates, mental yep. and emotional well-being, plummeting. Which, by the way, uh, anyone who says the, the studies that talk about uh, transgender individuals uh, post-gender reassignment surgery having uh, the same rate of suicide as pre- uh, the those original studies were actually comparing post transgender suicide rates to normal individual like heteronormative uh, suicide rates. So they weren't actually comparing post to pre. They were just comparing, you know, post op to pre op. They were comparing completely apples and oranges. But outside of that, even if that was the case, it wouldn't surprise me because of the amount of of hatred and disgust that gets thrown at transgender individuals, regardless of whether or not they've transitioned. And if you still operate in a world that doesn't accept you and that doesn't like doesn't treat you with any sort of dignity and respect, of course, yes, accepting yourself and 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 walking into that that phase can be a beautiful thing and can help you along that journey. But at the same time, if no one else refuses to acknowledge that, then um, and and refuses to treat you with dignity and respect, regardless of what they believe, then there is then of course there's going to be problems there and you're going to experience loneliness and rejection time and, and time again. Like there's a lot of the way that we, the way that we believe and the way that we treat the things that we believe and the way that we treat others causes a lot of damage on it without, I should be unnecessary damage and unnecessary collateral damage. I'm not saying that the gospel never offends someone. I'm not saying that, the, that, that saying that Jesus loves and calling people into a right relationship with him is never, I'm not saying that that's always like, yes, it's, it, it, you know, the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for a reason, but that doesn't mean that it goes down the same for everyone. Uh, and, and I, I understand that there are times where there's a hard call to be made and fully, fully embrace that idea. That doesn't mean that we should look for those hard pills, you know, to shove those hard pills to swallow down every single person's throat that we meet. It doesn't have to be that way for everybody. Well, and, and the whole process of shoving the pill down somebody, first of all, implies force, which is antithetical yep. to the gospel. And and second of all, it implies wrong motive, which is also clear in the, in the gospels, right? I mean, yep. what is the motive? Am I shoving this in to feel better about myself or help them have the best life possible? And if you approach somebody going, I'm doing this to do whatever, and you realize it's more about you than them, then you're already on bad ground. Yep. So I want to say this, um, you know, we have just a few minutes left here. I, I, I want to say the, the best place to start for people is a stop using the term lifestyle to describe this. If you're anytime you're talking about what you believe is sin, it is important that you speak very, very specifically. Otherwise you're casting people into sin. You're, you're, you're casting people into your judgment of sin that don't belong there. You're calling people sinful that that didn't do anything wrong. So I would say be specific if you're going to do it. But B, I would say a good way to identify if you're in the group we're kind of talking about here is if you feel the need to express or quali quantify qualify any statement that you make with a I believe that this is wrong or I believe that this is sin, whatever. If you feel the need to say that even in conversations where no one asked you, if you can't talk about this issue without making sure that you first let everyone know where you stand, then there's space for you to have a little bit more empathy because no one likes being reminded in every single conversation that you believe that they are, that they're living incorrectly. No one. Yeah. I mean, and we're going to see it and we have seen it on other topics we've spoken about where, you know, people immediately in the comment section will be like, so, you know, I think this is blah and you should have said blah. 
Well, first yep. of all, it's funny because these people say that not actually knowing where we stand on whatever, because we didn't specifically say it because it was beyond the scope of what, and honestly, we don't care. It didn't impact what we're talking about. This we, We're having this discussion now, no matter what our personal beliefs are on, on the issue, because we do believe the Bible speaks to you know the basic humanity of, of yep. individuals. Um, but like you said, yeah, when your first step is, I need the world to know, you know, I... It's kind of like the the one of the best comebacks I heard in a in a comment section. I think in one of our our videos, right? Somebody was saying something like, "Well, that's dumb. I'm out." And they were like, "This isn't an airport. You don't have to announce your departure." Yes, right. Yep. When, you, when you have to announce like a PA system about something, you're already are are you really interested in the individuals in question? Are you really interested in the topic? Are you interested in a, a public declaration of "Look at me"? Yep. Right. It's, that, it's and- a form of narcissism. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. And it's a if you want to boil down this episode in into one one basic idea, I would say how we treat people matters and we need to treat people better. Like that's that's you want the the basic borderline like starting place for a lot of people. It's that we could talk about systemic changes. We could talk about the way that the church needs to do whatever we could go into any specific political or systemic change conversation but it doesn't matter if we aren't even willing to treat each other with a basic dignity and respect that that is deserved. And if you can't look past an LGBTQ plus individual's pain, like, or sorry, if you can't look past their, their say don't look their, past their, <laughs> sorry, yeah, I meant their their anger or their you know their expression of their sexuality. If you can't look past that to see the experiences that put them in a position where that where they even felt the anger, I talk about this with with uh, Black Lives Matter too. And with the way that a lot of a lot of people of color respond to white prejudice and racism, and a lot of them are just fed up with it and they're tired, they're exhausted, and the filter can't always be on. And it's the same deal. If you can't see the if you can't see beyond that to see the experiences that led up and you can't be empathetic to that, like that's the starting place is, is we have to grow in empathy, we have to grow in connection, we have to build actual relationships that are not built on the foundation that I uh, off the start believe that you are living incorrectly and I want to change you. What relationship ever works if you know that the person wants to change you the entire time that you're in it? That's not a that's that's an agenda. That's not a relationship. That that yeah. that is manipulation and that opens the door to abuse abuses of all kinds. And this is all I want is for just a little bit more empathy and understanding in these conversations so that they can actually happen. And I think that is where the starting place can be for us to actually do and it, to create whatever systemic changes need to be created. So, yeah. Henry, anything you want to want to close with or anything you want to you want to share? Uh, I mean, use we're releasing it in Pride Month for a reason. For, for one, we would talk to our listeners of faith of any kind and say this would be a great month for introspection for your involvement with LGBTQ plus individuals. And I don't mean involvement like, you know, go join a march or not join. I mean, maybe you want to, I don't know, but I'm saying I know there's different places everybody lands on this topic, you know, and there's going to be some people that go, well, I feel like that's supporting something I don't believe in. Okay, well, I'm not asking you to support something you don't believe in. I'm asking you to support an individual, right? Because God believes in them. And I know some people are like, well, if I really supported them, I wouldn't encourage them in certain behaviors. I'm, I'm not asking you to encourage and behave. 
we, we keep immediately going to the negative. I guess that's the thing that bothers me. We can't have healthy introspection when the moment you start to think something, you immediately go to the negative and get defensive. That's absurd. Yeah. You're never going to get through the conversation. Um, I'm not telling you what to believe. Hopefully we're not, either of us are telling you what to believe on this. And again, this wasn't a Bible study about what the Bible does or does not say on the topic. But regardless of whether the Bible was 100% against homosexuality or 100% for it or somewhere in between, regardless of that, at the end of the day, if we can't understand that LGBTQ plus individuals are individuals, they are human beings, and therefore they deserve a certain level not even I don't even like the term certain level, but they deserve to be treated. And what the Bible does clearly say is God's treatment of all humanity. Then mm-hmm. you've missed the boat, right? You 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 have you have totally missed the boat. And I can say this is someone that in my past I have had um, the privilege and unfortunate experience, and I'll explain that I've had the privilege of people LGBTQ plus individuals coming out to me or telling me that this is what they're going through. And I've, I've, I had the unfortunate experience of not handling it well. Mm-hmm. And that might hint where you go, aha, now we know where he stands. Well, no, I just, I just mean, I'm saying this as an individual that whatever I believed or do believe now or did then or whatever, I, I'm going to be the first to admit as a religious leader and a person of faith, I've handled it badly. I have lost sight of the individual in front of me and been more interested in in something else. And the point is that something else, if it obscures the individual, I'm in trouble. And I Mm -hmm. really hope that people would leave this conversation being willing to go, I want to be introspective. I want to know how can I not lose sight of people? Yeah. Right? How How can I find empathy or at least sympathy with the common human experience of emotion, of pain, uh, of needing decency, of wanting to be supported, of not wanting to be denigrated. How, how can I relate to that? This is a month for people, no matter what they believe on the issue, to use this as another rallying call to find value in humanity. And that's yes. what I really want to see, because Christians are called to value humanity. Every person has intrinsic value, and it's about time we lived that way. So, Well, I... I, I... Thank you for sharing that. And I, I would say the same. I have I have not treated this. I've, I, there are times in my life where I have not treated it with and treated people with the proper respect and dignity that I should be treating them with. And there are times where I've gotten it wrong, too. There are times where I haven't spoken up as someone has expressed hatred or expressed uh, dehumanization or dehumanizing language. There are times where I haven't I haven't uh I haven't spoken up and and I haven't advocated. There are other times where um, I specifically didn't respond as well as I should have. And and to those individuals, I would say I am deeply sorry for it. And I wish I could I wish I could go back and undo it. I can't. So the only thing I can do right now is apologize and then seek to do better in the future. And I do believe that we're doing that. And Henry, you don't know this. So I'm going to share it with you because uh, I do believe it's important. And I believe it's something that helps ground us. This isn't a brag, so no one, this isn't anything like that. This is something that, this kind of message is what I hope I receive. What I hope we receive by the, with this show and something that, that I think is, uh, that we really do hope for listeners. But the other day on Twitter, someone reached out to me. Obviously, I'm not going to say their name. They reached out to me and they said, hey, I just found your podcast. And I want you to know that I, I'm uh, gay. I'm a closeted gay person can't not safe to come out but i want you to know that your content has been a breath of fresh air and i really feel safe here and i'm really really appreciated it and i 
and I just wanted you to know that and, and to tell you to keep up the good work. So, Henry, I'm sharing that with you specifically in regard to what we just meant, what we both just mentioned, because I think both of us have grown in the way that we talk about this. And we hope we really do hope and are trying to make this a safe space in for, for as many people as we can. The the truth of the matter is, though, we sometimes get things wrong. And so once again, just as we said at the beginning, if there is a way that we can do better, if there's a way that we could talk about this better or better terminology to use, if there's something we need to be educated on, please reach out to us. And if you're interested in coming on this show and having a part of the being a part of that conversation, joining it, please reach out as well. All of our contact info is in the show notes. Let us know. But with that, everyone, thank you so much for listening. Go be well, treat people better, ask people how you can treat them better, and let's fill this world with a little bit more love every day. And with that, we'll see you next week.